reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these things do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amazing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it is a living word. And thank you that it uh, cuts sharper than a sword. And I pray that for us this morning, God. I, I thank you for this parable that we've heard so many times. And I pray that it would mean something new to us today. God, I pray for my heart. I pray for everyone's heart in this place that we would be open to receiving something new from you this morning. We don't want to go away the same people that we came in. But we want to go away changed. We want to go away transformed. We want to go away with something new to apply in our lives with your strength. So speak to us. Speak to us all this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, it's amazing to, to see you all, to be back in this place. 
Uh, I had about two hours sleep last night, so I'm feeling great. And yeah, for, for all of you who are parents who have been parents, you know what it's like. And uh, yeah, you, you, you count the cost before you have a child, and then it's like, wow, that really is a cost, but it's so worth it. You see their smile, and you're like, it's all worth it. The, the two hours sleep uh, is okay. Uh, so, yeah, so I apologize, first of all, for any uh, long pauses that I may have. I'm used to speaking with translation, so I speak, and then I, I wait for someone else. So I might look to the left or the right, and no one's there, and I'm like, where's my translation coming from? Uh, it's a bit strange speaking with no, no pauses, so if I do pause, uh, that is why. I also like to wander around the stage, so if you get a bit dizzy, I apologize as well. I just... I'm someone who likes to wander as I, as I speak. So, yeah, so it's, it's great to be back here. Uh, I have so many memories from this place. Uh, I grew up here. Uh, looking around now, I see lots of faces uh, that I knew from when I was young, uh, from when I was in the youth, uh, you know, some of my youth leaders and all that sort of stuff. And when I did my internship here as well, I was here serving for a year, and it was such an amazing time. Uh, and this is a real special place in my heart. Mutley was somewhere that I really grew. It was the place where I really met God for the first time, so it's always amazing to come back here. Uh, when we were doing our internship, I actually remember we were entrusted with some keys to the church. Can you imagine? These 20-year-old guys. So, of course, we snuck into the church in the middle of the night, and Fee's just finding this out now. She's never heard this. And we wouldn't do anything bad. We would just come up and, you know, have worship times on the stage, maybe play a bit of hide-and-seek around the church and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so many good memories. I love it here, and it's been a huge part of my journey. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll always love it here. So the message, the, the, the passage that we have this morning is about the Good Samaritan. Like I prayed, you know, we've heard this story so many times. It's such a, a simple story in some ways, and yet there is such a deep application, and that's what we're praying for this morning. So, yeah, let's prepare ourselves for an application. Let's listen with expectation. What is it that God wants to speak to us this morning? When I'm teaching in Bali, because we do, it's not, you know, 20 minutes of teaching. I do a whole week of teaching. If you're just listening to my voice, you are going to get bored. That is the reality. Even 20 minutes, you will get bored. But if you're listening to what God is speaking through what I'm saying, you will never get bored. It's always new. It's always fresh. It's always exciting. So let's do that this morning. So I just want to go to verse 25. I'm not sure if the verses are going to come up as I Read them if possible. If not, um, that's okay. So we really want to see the, the, the context that we're going into here. So it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we really need to pay attention here to key words. What is the context? So Jesus has come in to a time where he is challenging the way things are done. Imagine now, someone just walks in, and everything is new, everything is different, and you're like, this is really challenging our thinking. It's really challenging the way that we do things. He was not afraid to ruffle some feathers. He was pretty strong with these people, and he came in, and he said, things are going to be done differently. For the Jews, 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these experts of the law, these were the people who called the shots. They were the religious leaders. It meant a lot more back then. It's not just a pastor, but they were involved in your whole life. And they said what you can do and what you cannot do. So this was a huge deal for him to come in and speak to these people. They even added their own laws. So the Pharisees, they would add laws onto the laws from the Old Testament just because they thought they could. They were like, this will benefit us. This will give us more power, more authority. So this is what we want to do. And people just went along with it. So Jesus and his movement, it was a real threat to these people. So So their whole plan was to discredit him publicly. So you can imagine someone comes in and they're saying some new things and they're maybe going to steal some of your followers. They're doing everything they can in public when he's teaching to catch him out, to test him, to give him a question where he's like, oh, I'm not sure about the answer to that one. Or maybe he answers wrongly. So again and again, we see these tests being given to Jesus. I've never used a clicker. It worked. Amazing. So there are different tests we see uh, throughout the New Testament. So they said, they tested him again. Is divorce lawful? They wanted to catch him out. They know, they know it's a toughie. That's a tough question. How is Jesus going to answer that? They said another one. In front of people, imagine this. Show us a sign from heaven. Imagine doing that to a pastor. You say you're full of the Holy Spirit. Show us a sign right now from heaven. He'd be like, oof. Show us something that shows your authority. And even until he was on the cross, he's dying on the cross, and they say, if you're the son of God, get yourself down now. That's in front of people. They're trying to discredit him. They're thinking in their mind, if he doesn't get down, we win. We keep our followers. Nothing changes. This movement that he is trying to start will fail. He wanted, they wanted everyone not to believe because they knew that it would be a threat to them and the way that they did things. And if you know the story, it continues, and that's exactly what it becomes to them. It becomes a threat. And even after Jesus dies, they're trying to cut out that threat completely. Verse 26. Here Jesus does something, you know, kind of annoying in a way. Verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? You know when you ask someone a question and they answer with a question and you're like, that's really annoying and patronizing. But actually the best teachers and the best lecturers do that. I'm sure John Spicer has done this in his lectures when someone comes. Maybe they're even trying to catch John out and they're like, well, what do you think about this thing? I have a differing opinion. And John asks them a question. What does that do? It gets them to think. It gets them to process. Jesus loved answering with questions. Read through the Gospels. He does it the whole time. They ask a question. He's like, I'm not going to give you an answer just for the sake of giving you an answer. But I want you to think and process the question that you've given to me. Verse 27 and 28. So what does Jesus do? So the guy answered, 
from the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says something surprising. Yep, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So Jesus takes him to a passage. So this person is an expert in the law. He's an expert in the law. And Jesus is taken to this passage, which this guy knows. He knows it off by heart. They quote it probably daily, but he doesn't know it and understand it in his heart. He can say it out loud, but he does not know the meaning. So for him, this teacher of the law, in his mind, he's thinking like this. Okay, love God in this way. Okay, I pray this many times a day. Tick. Done that. Did I go to the temple when I was meant to go to the temple? Yep. I did that. Tick. Did I see a homeless person on the side of the road and flick them a penny? Tick. I've prayed. I've given. I've worshipped. Job done. This is what this person is thinking with his answer when he answers to Jesus. So then Jesus answers, and then we see the, uh, the teacher of the law do something interesting. He realizes that Jesus has kind of made him look stupid because Jesus has said, don't you know the law, basically? He's asked him a question. Jesus has said, well, how do you read it? Don't you read it every day? And this guy's then like, oh, I've looked a bit silly there. I should have just known that scripture and not asked the question. So Jesus asks him again. And this guy's caught out. So he tries to justify himself. It says here, it makes it quite clear for us. We don't need to interpret. He tries to justify himself. So he's like, oh, well, well, who is my neighbor? You know, just get another question out there so that the public aren't like, this teacher of the law is a bit stupid, really. So he gets another question out. Who is my neighbor? But it gives Jesus an amazing chance to make a point that he doesn't make here, but he actually makes in other parts of Scripture as well. And we will be referring to those in a second. So then it goes on to uh, verse 30 to 36, and it tells this story. And I'm not going to read it again. I think we all know the story. And you have um, three characters, three characters in the story. But at the end of the story, Jesus asks a question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So the first point I want to make is related to this verse 36, which sometimes we skip over. We don't recognize. Did you notice that Jesus actually switches the question around? He doesn't answer the original question, but he answers a different question. The original question was, who is my neighbor? So imagine me looking out to to all of you, and the Pharisees are like, you know, you need to love your neighbor. That's what you need to do. Well, okay, who is my neighbor? If if I just want to tick the box, I want to do the right thing, who is it? Tell me who it is. Oh, it's Malcolm. Great. I'll just love Malcolm. Easy. Job done. I can tick the box. That is what they're looking for. They're looking to tick boxes and jump through hoops so that they can say, I am a righteous person. I am a holy person. But Jesus switches it around. He says, who can you be a neighbor to? 
It's not who is your neighbor and you can tick a box. But the question is, who can you be a neighbor to? So what is he saying by this? He's saying, don't be selective. Don't be selective in who you love so that you can tick a box. Don't be selective in who you pour into so that you can say, I've done a good job today. I've loved that person and therefore it's done. But we know that Jesus loves everyone. We know that he doesn't have favorites and therefore that's what he wants for us as well. He's saying, don't be selective. Who can you be a neighbor to? Who can you be a neighbor to? So the main characters in the passage, we have a priest and we have a Levite. As we know, these are people who were well respected by the Jewish people. These are people basically like the one who's asking the question. It's like, okay, so you were walking along the road. This is what I mean. He's not afraid to ruffle some feathers. You were walking down the road. There was a guy on the floor and you did nothing. That's basically what Jesus is saying to this guy. So there was the priest and the Levite. They're meant to represent God. They are well respected within society. All of the Jews would look up to them and say, these are good, honorable, respectable, holy, righteous people. And then you have this Samaritan guy. The Samaritan was the complete opposite to the other two. And I know some of you know this already. They were avoided at all costs And now don't just think of this in the story, but let's start to think about our own lives. Who are the people that we avoid at all costs? So the Samaritans were avoided. They were actually once Israelites. This is the interesting thing. They were once uh, Israelites, but they are now called outsiders. When the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms separated, suddenly they were called outsiders. They are different. So keep this in mind. So they're on a border. So both sides of the border, imagine Plymouth and Cornwall, both sides, Devon and Cornwall, Plymouth and Cornwall, Devon and Cornwall, both sides of the border in here, they both call Abraham father. They both say Abraham is our father. They would both say Moses is our liberator. They all worship the God of Jacob. They are all children of Israel, yet they hate each other. Do we recognize this? Not just here, but in our own lives. They hate each other. They're so similar, they're so close, yet they hate each other. That is the context. That is the background. So like I said to me, Jesus' first answer to them was actually quite interesting because he just allowed the Old Testament law to be quoted back to him. Imagine being Jesus, and you're the one who obviously knows the law off by heart, and he just allows it to be repeated to himself. And then he says, he doesn't say, no, you're wrong. There's so much more than that. But actually, he just says to him, if that's the law, then do it, and you will live. But we know that that answer was never the way to true freedom. 
and eternal life. Jesus is trying to get at something here. From Galatians we can read, Why then was the law given at all? It was only added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was only given because of the hardness of their hearts, and it was a preparation for Jesus, who was, br- who was going to bring the new law. It was never meant to be the answer. It was never meant to bring eternal life, and Jesus knows this, obviously. So we need to understand this truth so badly for ourselves. And let's think about ourselves. Don't listen to me, but allow God to speak to you. Eternal life is never going to be achieved by ticking boxes, jumping through hoops, and trying to look perfect. Never. That is never going to go well. We're from uh, Indonesia. My wife is actually from Indonesia. Uh, I was there for 10 years. Indonesia is 90% Muslim. And if you know anything about Islam, Islam is all about ticking boxes. You need to pray five times a day. Five times a day, they'll have the call go out, and that's for everyone to go and pray. If you are a faithful Muslim, you will go and you will pray at that time. They also have to do good things. So you'll see opportunities for them to give money. You will see opportunities for them to help people. If they do those things, they have ticked their box for the day, and they are in God's good books, and they are going to heaven. They believe that if your good outweighs your bad at the end of the life, then you're okay. We were living in Bali, which, interestingly, is almost 100% Hindu. Completely different again, but similar They do offerings, these things that you can see on their heads. It's part of a ceremony. They are daily. If you're looking for committed, dedicated people to their religion, the Balinese Hindus are crazy. Every morning they will be out doing their offerings. They spend so much money. They are always in debt because they have to do sacrifices and they have to do offerings. They are doing it to tick boxes. They put the offering out in the morning, tick, They do a sacrifice in the temple, tick. They do their evening offering, tick. They need to do these things to appease the gods and to make sure that they are having a good next life. But the truth is, we can't just look at other religions when we're we're looking at this. I spent, honestly, the first 20 years of my life not experiencing a personal relationship with God. And that is because I was so concerned about my reputation. I was so concerned about looking like I was doing well in life. So I can admit now to my youth leaders, when I was, you know, reading the memory verse to get a chocolate, actually I was a bit half-hearted in that. I didn't really care. I was just trying to get the chocolate. Everything that I was doing was to look good. Even when I looked like a nice guy, it's because I wanted, as the pastor's son, 
to look like a nice guy. Pastors' kids normally go either way. They go completely rebellious or they look pretty good, but you don't know what's going on in their hearts. And I can tell you it's not all good. So we have to remember, keeping the law is impossible. If we're trying to look good, if we're trying to look perfect, if we're trying to tick those boxes as Christians each day, we're going to fail. Only the grace of God can bring forgiveness. Only the grace of God. We sing so often, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. That needs to be the foundation of our life. His grace is always enough, and there's nothing that we can do to earn eternal life. But there is more. See, so often we stop there. I could say, let's pray, end of sermon. But no, there is more. Some of you might wish I prayed and finished there, but we're going to continue because there's more challenge. Because you see, Jesus gives a challenge to us. I'm going to go back. Because keeping the law is impossible. But Jesus challenges us to move from one impossible to another. That's his challenge. We need to always have this in mind because Jesus speaks about this a lot. He never stops there, but he continues. So you see, Jesus says often, you have heard it said. So when he's saying, you have heard, what he's saying is, you've heard the teachers of the law, you've heard the Pharisees, you've heard the Sadducees, you've heard these people speaking. You have heard, love your neighbor. You have heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy. How much more impossible is that? We fail at loving our neighbor, but he says, love your enemy. They know they need to give to those in need. It says in a verse that you give to those in need and you do it really loudly. So an equivalent would be, you know, going past a homeless person, just emptying a a bag of one pound coins so that everyone can hear. And they're like, wow, what a nice guy this is. And Jesus says, you've heard it to do it that way, but I say, give in secret. Give in secret. How much more impossible is that? Because there's no pride that goes with it. No one's going to see us. We're just doing it, and it's real sacrifice. We know that we need to pray. The Pharisees, they would pray out loud in the streets. They would say, Lord God Almighty. Everyone would be like, this is a holy man. This is a holy man. But he says, no. He says, pray in secret. Pray in secret. Again, such a challenge. He also said, you have heard, go one mile. I say, go two miles. What does it mean to go one mile? Every Roman was able to ask a Jewish person to carry their stuff one mile. They were basically a porter. They could say, here, here's my bag. I'm a bit tired carry it for one mile. The Romans were their enemies, yet Jesus says, you're being basically abused by this person. You're being abused and exploited. But I say to you, carry it two miles and see the effect it has on that person. Carry it two miles. You've got to remember, the Jews, this is their land. The Romans have come, taken over 
and they're abusing them, exploiting them, oppressing them. And Jesus is saying, two miles, carry it, two miles. Love your enemies. Like the Samaritan, go the extra mile. He didn't just see him on the street and say, look, here you go, I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up, but that's it. No, he takes him to shelter. He goes back again and says, anything this guy needs, I'm willing to pay out of my own pocket. He goes the extra mile for his enemy. For his enemy, he goes the extra mile. Tell me that's not impossible. In a story, yeah, fine, it's a nice story. In our lives, when someone has oppressed you and abused you, tell me it's not impossible to go the extra mile for that person. Jesus challenges us to do more than we could ever do. That is the point. He is challenging us to do more than we could ever do. There's a a song that I love, and it says in the lyrics, From the head to the heart, you take me on a journey of letting go and getting lost in you. And that's exactly what it's been for me. It's been a massive journey. It's been a huge journey of trying to understand what Jesus is teaching and put it into practice. You see, Jesus says the law is impossible, but he does not lower the standard of the law. You've got to understand that. He is holy. He does not lower the standard. And he says again and again about people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says these type of people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He is saying that this new standard to love your enemies, to give secretly, to pray in secret, to go the extra mile, is impossible unless I do it for you. Unless you choose not to do it alone, but to do it with me. One of my favorite verses, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't think that you can do any good thing apart from him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But through him, the impossible is made possible. That is the good news. These impossible things are made possible when we abide in him, when we allow him to do them through us. So we need to abide in him. That is our job. He says, abide in me. We need to depend on him. And we need to say, more of you, less of us. More of you, less of me. I fail, you do not fail. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He lives in us and he does the work in us and through us. That is the good news. It's impossible, but he makes the impossible possible. What Jesus did, what the disciples did, looked impossible 
but he was working through them. He was at, yeah, he was working. His power was at work in them. Just a quick few testimonies from U of N Bali, from where I've been. We had one guy come to DTS. He was unwanted by his family. He lived in the village, and they rejected him when he was a, a very small child. He was sent to an orphanage because there was no one that wanted him, and he grew up in this orphanage. It was a Christian orphanage, and then he ended up being sent to DTS. After one of the weeks called Forgiveness and Repentance, we led him through this process, and it was hours. I tell you, it took hours, and he was in tears as he contacted his family back on his home island, and he said, I forgive you. I forgive you for abandoning me. I forgive you for rejecting me. There was a young guy from Cambodia who hated the people from the country next to him because if you know the history of Cambodia, they have been oppressed, they have been abused, their people have been treated so badly. And I'm sure it was both sides. But he just hated these people. And we spoke to him. And actually, we didn't have to say much because God was working in his heart. And he ended up going on an outreach to this country and doing a ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness to those people. How amazing is that? That is just like this story. It's like all the Jews going to uh, Samaria and just saying, let's do this ministry of reconciliation. We had a girl from the USA who was abused when she was a child by a family member. She came and she was very broken. But God healed her of that. And he not only healed her and made her whole, but she was able to release forgiveness to the family member who abused her. Tell me that's not impossible. How impossible is that? But God makes the impossible possible. That is the sort of witness that challenges us. That is the sort of witness that challenges us to do the impossible, impossible, for God to do the impossible in our lives. So Jesus used this parable to challenge them and us with this question. Do we want to be religious, to do things in our strength, and fail constantly at doing the impossible? Or are we ready to allow Jesus to take over and through his power do even more impossible things? So the question, who is it that you are struggling to love right now? Who is that person that you see them on the street and you're like, I'm going the other way. Oh, I'm crossing the road here. Not because I hate them, but I'm just avoiding them. Who is the person that you are struggling to love right now? Who is your Samaritan? Who has offended you? Because it doesn't matter how many times you come to church, if you go to all the services, how many times you pray, how many prayer meetings you go to, how much you give in the offering, it's not going to make you feel better. 
And as much as you feel you're ticking the boxes, you're just making it harder for yourself. Because God doesn't just want your time and your money and your prayers and your sacrifice. He wants your heart first. And trust me, all of those other things come very quickly afterwards. But he needs your heart first. When I realized after 20 years how religious I had been, I'd been in church my whole life. When I realized it was so humbling for me because I had to start again from zero. Everything I thought I knew was actually just fake and I had to start again. My relationship with God, my time, my giving, my priorities, they all had to change, start from zero, and come from a perspective that I first and foremost abide in Jesus and let everything else flow from that. Trust me, I'm still learning that now. But Jesus worked the impossible in my life. That's my testimony here. Jesus worked the impossible in my life, as he did with all of those people that I shared about. He is an amazing God, and he makes the impossible possible. With that, let's pray. Oh God, your, your, your word, it cuts us deep. And it is sharp. And I pray that right now we would open up our hearts to you and just allow that cutting, allow that testing, allow that challenging, allow that transformation to take place. And as I pray, I'm just going to ask questions. Have you been selective in who you are loving? This is something you can reflect on right now as our eyes are shut and our heads are bowed, have you been selective in who you have been loving? Who is your Samaritan? Have you been giving your head but not your heart? How do you need to respond to this message? How do you need to respond? What is going to happen Like with that boy from the village, he contacted his family. The Cambodian, he went on an outreach. That girl from the USA, she forgave. What is your application? Father, I pray that you would speak to us an application for today. I pray that we would step out of our comfort zones and respond to the message that you have given this morning. We just say all glory goes to you. And we thank you that it's your Holy Spirit that lives in us, that allows us to see the impossible made possible. In Jesus' name, amen.